This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, Dr. Thomas Inge is Chief of Pediatric Surgery at Children's Hospital Colorado and Professor of Surgery at the University of Colorado, Denver. As patients are gaining massive amounts of weight, even with the best of surgery and the most successful operations that we can do, we can't get them back to a weight that is in a healthy range. All that and more when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show. Here's a preview of what they're covering on Viewpoints this week. This week on Viewpoints. Federal, state, and local governments played a very significant, if not determining, role in the segregation of metropolitan areas everywhere in the country. A forgotten history of how our government segregated America. Then... The subject is clouded over with so much technicality and complicated symbols, but underneath it all are these beautiful ideas. How even non-mathematicians can appreciate the beauty of calculus. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes and Stitcher. The proportion of school-age children who are overweight has finally stopped climbing in the last few years. But experts say in one major way, the problem is still getting worse. The proportion of adolescents who suffer from severe obesity and are roughly 100 pounds or more above their ideal weight has doubled in the last 15 years to about 10%, and that's still going up. Those teenagers, three million or more of them, face a myriad of health problems in spite of their youth. Typically, type 2 diabetes, in many cases, sleep apnea, in many cases, high blood pressure, and even conditions that females get, such as polycystic ovarian syndrome, are linked to obesity and are greatly improved or remedied entirely by substantial weight loss. However, for most of them, substantial weight loss won't come easily. That's why bariatric surgery is starting to be accepted for teenagers. However, it can be a hard sell. Dr. Thomas Inge is Chief of Pediatric Surgery at Children's Hospital Colorado and Professor of Surgery at the University of Colorado, Denver. Most people, when we're thinking about offering surgery to a teenager, are quite conservatively minded. And so there's this hope springs eternal type of attitude that this little girl is just going to outgrow this weight problem. She's going to get taller and she's going to get thinner with time. Or, you know, this one is going to be very responsive to the next diet fad that's, you know, being reported in the New York Times on the bestseller list. People still think it's as simple as just reducing calories and increasing exercise, and that will solve all of obesity. And what we do know is that that's not the case. I mean, especially for these patients that have severe obesity, they often need multiple treatment modalities, behavior, medication, surgery, a combination thereof to treat their obesity. That's Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford, an obesity medicine physician at Massachusetts General Hospital and the Harvard Medical School. She says relatively few centers do bariatric surgery on adolescents. While more than 200,000 Americans American adults will have weight loss surgery this year. Only a few thousand of them will be teens. But for those who get surgery, it works. What we see is a weight loss pattern that is 
practically identical to what you would expect with adults. So many people worry that they're going to, for instance, sabotage themselves by going back to habits that are not healthy. And that just doesn't seem to be the case when we look at the individuals that undergo surgery as teenagers and become adults roughly eight to 10 years later have maintained that weight loss just as adults would. So really, the findings of the long-term studies that we've done really debunk that concern that teenagers will lose 100 pounds and then regain it all back. Often, younger patients also haven't yet developed some of the chronic diseases that eventually come with extra weight, such as diabetes and high blood pressure. And Inge says those who have developed those diseases seem to respond better to surgery. Our suspicion was that if we operated on patients that, say, have type 2 diabetes and severe obesity as teenagers, that they would, in fact, have a better outcome of the surgery on their diabetes than if they were adults. And that seems to be true. And the studies that we've done that have looked at diabetes, that have looked at high blood pressure, that has looked at high cholesterol, what we see is a response of these diseases associated with obesity that is in excess of what we would have expected based on similar operations done in adults. However, one unfortunate factor is very different between the average adult patient and the average teen patient. By the time they have surgery, adolescents are usually much heavier than the typical adult. The average BMI for our patients that are adolescent age range that undergo surgery is about 54 whereas the average BMI for our adult patients that undergo surgery is about 44. So you can see that we're waiting longer. The obesity is much more severe in our pediatric patients who undergo surgery. Stanford says that's where weight loss surgery shows its limits, despite its well-deserved reputation for prompting significant weight loss. Usually, patients will lose 50 to 60 percent of their excess weight, depending on the procedure. So the heavier a patient is to start, the less likely they are to reach normal. One of the risks that I'm increasingly telling people about is the risk of doing nothing. After a certain point of weight gain, even with surgery, we cannot reverse severe obesity. And that's a sobering message on the one hand, and it's a call to action on the other hand. I think that as patients are gaining massive amounts of weight, and I'm talking about patients that are in the 350, 400 pound, in the even higher ranges, we, even with the best of surgery and the most successful operations that we can do, we can't get them back to a weight that is in a healthy range. So it may be that weight loss surgery has to be considered sooner rather than later. But how far can we take that? Psychologist Dr. Meg Zeller is professor of pediatrics at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. I agree that it suggests that teens should be referred earlier to surgery in their weight gain. I don't think that says necessarily when they're younger than 13. The average age of an adolescent patient is roughly 17. So what we know most about are kids who are older adolescents. So I feel until we know more about the younger adolescents, we should be careful about talking about younger patients. So while Zeller says age 13 is the floor she's comfortable with for now, many experts haven't settled on how young is too young. Across the globe, we've seen the boundaries challenged for age, and we've seen things that seem almost incredible to believe done in kids that are really quite young. 
toddlers, if you will. These operations do have consequences, and we don't understand quite all of the consequences yet. And we've taken a stepwise approach to say, you know what, teenagers who have completed the majority of their growth, who are suffering from these diseases of obesity that are certainly going to affect them in an adverse way over the next decade or two, we need to be offering modern solutions to this problem. But if I'm referred a three or four-year-old with a severe obesity, I'm going to take a much different look at that patient you know, than a patient who's a teenager. Many doctors say they prefer that a patient at least be through puberty before receiving weight loss surgery so as to not interfere with growth and hormonal changes. Psychological screening is also extremely important. One aspect is the difficulty a teen may be having with everyday life. Physical spaces in our lives don't necessarily work as easily for people who carry severe excess weight. And for adults, we hear things a lot about the seats on an airplane or needing seatbelt extenders. For younger people and adolescents, what we hear about really is their day-to-day challenges of things like fitting in a desk at school, the seats in a school cafeteria, not being able to fit on amusement park rides, having to walk from class to class in a school environment, which may involve walking up and down stairs, and sometimes really has a time limit to it between bells and being able to do that quickly. So when you carry excess weight, it can be physically taxing, and these things are very public, and they're observed by other teens. So it can make them feel conspicuously different, and for some, there's a lot of shame and embarrassment. The presence of the family in a teen's life is another variable and can be either a positive or a negative influence. It's part of the psychologist's evaluation of a teen's qualifications for having surgery in the first place. We see a lot of different views. Some families are angry that their teen got referred in the first place. Some families are struggling with severe obesity themselves, so we see a lot of obesity in parents, if not severe obesity. So it's a family disease, which isn't always the case in other chronic medical conditions. They provide transportation to appointments. They buy the food that support the eating behavior changes. They can be saboteurs as well as supporters. So it's a different factor that I think adult care doesn't have to consider as much, and it makes the psychological evaluation for an adolescent a trickier one. A gastric bypass can also leave patients unable to absorb vitamins adequately, so lifelong supplementation is required. Will teens be compliant with it? Psychologists try to predict with each patient, but Inge says studies now show many teens don't do well. But he says adults aren't that compliant either, so doctors have changed their strategy. We've seen, in fact, over the past 8 to 10 years, a about-face in the field from the standpoint of what operation is being done most commonly. So operations that truly do have a lower predictable requirement for lifelong vitamin and mineral supplementation have emerged as the dominant operations now. I'm talking specifically about vertical sleeve gastrectomy, whereas compared to gastric bypass, we're not taking out of the circuit, if you will, 
the most important part of the GI tract for absorbing vitamins and minerals, and that's the duodenum, the first part of the small intestine after the stomach. However, even having to take supplements forever has little downside to many young patients. The success rate for teenagers getting bariatric surgery is similar to adults, and Inge says it's often life-changing. Of all the patients I've treated with these variety of conditions that pediatric surgeons take care of, this is the population that is the most grateful. This is the group that has struggled with the fat bias that we talked about earlier, has struggled with the sometimes just very painful consequences. We see these patients have a different outlook on life entirely when they can shed 100, 150, 200 pounds, and we see them emerge into adulthood as people who feel like they're really ready for life in a way that they really couldn't imagine. You can find out about all of our guests through links on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. You can also find archives of our programs there, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. May is American Stroke Month, and while not all strokes can be prevented, up to 80%, including recurrent strokes, may be, with a few changes, like not smoking, eating healthfully, being physically active, and maintaining a healthy weight. People who've survived one stroke are at a higher risk of having another, according to Dr. Mitchell Elkind of Columbia University. About one in every four stroke survivors will have another one. The best way to reduce your stroke risk is to live a healthy lifestyle and work with your doctor on a prevention plan. Also, ask your doctor if a daily aspirin or other medications for secondary stroke prevention are right for you. More than 116 million people in the U.S. have high blood pressure and fewer than half have it under control, putting them at increased stroke risk. Nothing causes more strokes than uncontrolled high blood pressure. Learn more at strokeassociation.org slash stroke month. As Americans, we love to snack. In fact, according to a recent report by Mintel, 94% of Americans snack each day. While two-thirds of us admit to snacking to satisfy a craving, one-third are trying to snack on healthier foods. Some foods can meet both needs. Registered dietitian Courtney Romano is a health advisor for the California Table Grape Commission. Fresh grapes are a perfect snack because not only do they taste great, they're healthy too. A bonus is the grapes are ripe and ready to eat when you buy them. And they're a packable snack that you can bring with you when you're out and about. Grapes from California are also a natural source of antioxidants and other polyphenols and may contribute to heart health. With just 90 calories for a three-quarter cup serving, no fat or cholesterol, and virtually no sodium, fresh grapes are a smart choice. For more information, visit grapesfromcalifornia.com. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free, and your donation is tax-deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free, and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. 
Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.